welcome to the Cast of Cough, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me back after a bit of a hiatus is the one and only DJ. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, you know, it's been so long doing no podcasts that I, uh, I I've almost forgotten. What is this like, Rachel? Are, are we on a show right now? I guess <laughs> I don't I don't even know. I mean, that's up for interpretation, I think. Well, listen, what? guys, we all have to take our, our spring break to go do work stuff and other things. So, uh, yeah, where apologies. the heck have you been? Where have you been, DJ? Oh, um, since last we talked, uh, let's see. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh-huh. went through Indiana. No offense to anybody who lives oh, in Indiana. That's right. I had blocked that out. <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, it's been a long time. I thought I remembered Indiana like somewhat okay. And then when you drive through that section, and, and folks, if you live in Indiana, you know sure the section I'm talking about. beautiful parts. I'm where sure it's like are. you get to this section where it's just an industrial wasteland of like abandoned oil processing it's plants. It's very Lud-esque, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. and it feels like – Rachel and I like looked at each other and we're like, man, this is, this is Stephen King country right here. Yeah, it's the like, world has moved on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just like they—they they built this bridge that goes way higher than a normal bridge, just so that like the industrial complex and the leakage doesn't get to the road to and, and contaminate the cars. Oh my god! Crossing past this section, it was, it was super bleak. But uh, yeah, I was in Ireland for a while, and then yeah. um, Michigan, and yep. and Chicago, and yep. Indiana, yeah, and uh, then I'll be in Japan in a, a couple weeks. So, and yes. Rachel, you've also been. A yes. world gavanting. Yes. I don't know if that's a correct word, but <laughs> where have you been? Yeah, I definitely have been on a little bit of an adventure. First of all, this is the first time we have recorded after having, after like almost two decades of knowing each other, met face to face because we went and had a, an adventure in Michigan, Chicago, and uh, Indiana. <laughs> I had a road trip that uh, yeah. <laughs> was definitely uh, that that was the, the fun peak cherry to our our adventure trip. I love that you like the first time we meet, you get in the car and you're like, "Would you like some of my sandwich?" <laughs> That's like the first thing you said to me. <laughs> I was like, yes, this is DJ. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, so we, yeah, there was that. Then I turned around and immediately went to LA. Um, I went and saw the Danny Elfman con- uh, concert, which was a ton of fun and just like goofed around in LA for a little bit. Came home for one day, packed my bags and then went to England for a week, um, which was amazing. We have another friend that you and I have known for two decades that I met for the first time ever. Uh, our friend Explody Joe. <laughs> Yes, so I went and hung out with her. I went to Stonehenge, which I'd never been to before. Um, nice. I was a nerd, and I spent a bunch of time in museums, and I saw the Rosetta Stone, which was pretty cool and surreal. I know. I've been so I've been listening to that podcast, uh, "What the British Stole," and oh, like geez. when you were posting all those pictures, I'm like, "Oh man, that was just on the podcast." Oh man, that was just on the podcast. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what comedian it is but there's some british comedian that was talking about like you go into the british museum and then you go into the gift shop and there's all these like do not steal signs and they're like irony <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that is where we have been but we are back although i will say we spent the first 20 minutes before we started recording planning our next trip so <laughs> but we will we're on it. We're on it. So thanks, everybody, for being patient. And we're sorry for the disappearing act. It was kind of unplanned, but just all this crazy stuff came up in our lives. I, like, I had no plans on the on the calendar. And then suddenly I had three trips back to back to back. So I apologize, everybody. 
Um, but we're back. So let's get into it. Um, plans for this episode. We are going to be kicking off the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala, Part 2, Telling Tales, Chapter 6, Grandpa's Tale. And then closing out the show with a little bit of Dark Tower news. That's right. There has actually been a little bit of an update in terms of Dark Tower adaptation. So we'll discuss that to close out the show. All right. How you doing, DJ? <laughs> um, you know what? It's been so long. I'm trying to make sure I properly describe the previous uh, chapter before we, we move on. Um, because, well, first uh, things first. What is our spoiler policy? Listen, guys. Uh, like a, a Rises plate zipping across the... <laughs> The headline is your husband explodes next to you. Um, we will explode in blood to let you know that we're splashing uh, some spoiler zone info on you before we get there. Um, That's a good one. I like that one. You will we still like slip and fall? Yeah, we might lose an arm, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. You still got it, Deej. You still got it. That was great. <laughs> All right. Here's the test, though. Where, where did we leave off? Uh, so in our last long term ago episode, we were talking about the tale of Gray Dick, which is, you know, a historic tale that uh, basically uh, kind of paints the history of this area and like gives you some like fun um, I don't, nursery rhymes, not the right term. Um, like legend, I guess. Legend? Yeah, maybe uh -huh. uh, maybe fairy tale esque. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, fairy tale, fable, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, and and like you you learn a lesson. Um, you also like they had some like glimpses. We got kids playing. We Roland finds out about the uh you know the plates, mm -hmm. and then we get r refreshed with the plates again in this next chapter. Um, so yeah, just a lot of world building, uh, fun mm -hmm. stuff. And actually, you know what? Um, diving back into this this next chapter, uh, this was perfect balance and I, you know i'm starting ahead of the the court horse ahead of the cart but mm -hmm. this is the perfect balance of like world building and action scenes yeah. that basically check 100 percent of my boxes so i am i'm i'm happy that this is where we started back up again excellent okay good yeah this is a i mean like you said we're getting ahead of ourselves but this was a pretty great chapter so all right let's get into it Okay, so synopsis uh, on me, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, let me dust the cobwebs off of my my synopsis <laughs> machine and see if I can do this. It's uh, been a minute. Um, so basically, we kind of start off like if you remember correctly, the the gang was sort of like separated into to yeah. different areas. Everybody like went and kind of stayed with different people. So what we end up getting is um, uh, Eddie and Susan uh, heading over to the Jafford Ranch, and you get this moment with Eddie where like. He's like looking around mm -hmm. and even though he's like a city guy, he's yeah. um he's actually like, you know what? I could see myself in a place like this. Yeah. I really like when I look around here, you know, it's a beautiful scene, like um, rustic and like kind of um, almost picturesque. Mm hmm. And and then we you know, you, you get the like what else makes this? It's the kids that are running around mm -hmm. and. And like that almost is like, oh, Eddie wanted a family and a farm and like kids. Yeah. And, you know, as they're like heading up to this place, you know, um, they're talking about their farmland and stuff. And, and Eddie even like as a city boy asks the right questions. He's like, you know, isn't that field kind of hard to plow? And like, isn't, you know, and these things are like stuff that you wouldn't expect Eddie to even 
have a fathom fathoming about. And we in the past have not gotten any sort of um, hints that Eddie knew anything about farming. And, and so I, I guess in that moment, you sort of are like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And, and then we get the moment where these guys are introduced to um, Tia. And I forget what the other one's name is. Well, first he meets all of the kids and like, it's interesting to watch Eddie in this moment for a couple of reasons. Like you said, he gets there and he's a city boy, but when he looks around and he sees the farm and this sort of rustic family life, he finds himself actually kind of craving it. Like he sees a a life that he maybe would have wanted to live. And it's interesting because it's this moment that kind of mirrors something that Roland went through in Wizard in the Glass when he was when he found out that or he didn't find out Susanna was pregnant, but he I think he had a moment where he was like, I would like to leave this gunslinger life behind and just be with Susan and have a family and have this domesticity and the security of home. And Eddie has a similar moment like that. And it's it's very bittersweet because you know that he's not going to have that and making it even more bittersweet is that he knows that his wife is pregnant um but with with a child that may or may not be ruined in a different kind of way and so that's sort of the kind of psychological background that's happening as he's taking in this beautiful family life you know and it's all idyllic and the children are adorable and then along come azalea and it's tian and azalea was the one i was forgetting so um, so, yeah, so their siblings come in and it, it kind of shatters this idyllic kind of um, family life that he's seeing. And it's a reminder of the stakes of what they're facing. Like this, this wonderful, like domestic um, idealist, like ideal kind of situation is, you know, laboring under the fact that all of these people are dealing with also having this aspect to their family. Well, and Stephen King like goes out of his way to, to, to kind of paint where these root, um, I guess adults now, not really kids are at the, the one walks up and is like grabbing his crotch and like kind of doing a pee pee dance Mm -hmm. and literally has to be told like, Hey, you know, go around the back of the barn and go pee. And, 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 He's like, Mm-mm. and he's like, no, you need to go pee, go pee, and like he runs off and goes pee, and it's that level of uh, of low expectations for the for the room when they come back that just like kind of breaks your heart, especially oh, knowing yeah. that like they're basically next to their unruly siblings, you know, mm-hmm. at the house and. Yeah. And then you have all the beautiful kids and it's like, well, you could either one of these one of these two kids from each of these, except for the singleton, will end up in that same situation, yeah. which is is heartbreaking. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It kind of it shatters and shows like how fragile that is. Mm-hmm. And I jumped the gun a little bit on the the field, but um, basically what we get revealed to us and we we already as the reader know this, that. That, you know, um, he is using his sister as the the plow for this field. And when Eddie looks over there, like, he's like, man, that field looks like it'd be hell on a, a, a donkey. And he's like, no, 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 no. I use my sister to, to plow. You know, yeah. I plow with my sister. And 
and I, yeah, as a childish person, I like giggled, <laughs> went back and like stopped giggling and like paid attention to what was going on. But, but, um, but basically like, he's like, yeah, you know, um, she does well enough because she's, she's a little smarter than her brother. And so she handles the plowing better. And besides, you know, they're only going to live um, eight or 10 more years. And then on top of that, you know, what would you do otherwise? They just mm -hmm. sit around in the farm and sleep and then wait and ask, you know, for mashed potatoes every once in a while when they, they wake up. Right. It's like, she actually seems to enjoy it. Um, he even describes her like honk of laughter as she's right. like going through the field and what well, gives her purpose. Right? Yeah, exactly. What else would she do without it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's also, I mean, it's, it's good, bad. It's like it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like oh man, he's making the best of a situation, but it really drives how home how heartbreaking the situation he's making the best of is. And Eddie kind of makes like a pretty obvious assumption, like the field is called the son of a bitch. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, you know, he's like, um, my brother used to have this this sort of thing too. You know, he like look around and be like. Uh, you know, let's go get the good stuff, you know, like basically like a big pipe dream yeah. and we're going to go do this. And then like, this will be the last time it'll be amazing. And then like, we'll, we'll be great after that. We'll kick the heroin and continue on. And like, he kind of makes an analog adjacent to this field where it's like, you know, um, you have big dreams of this. Like maybe one day you'll, you know, start growing this madrigal and that'll take over and you'll own the next farm and the farm after that. And before long, everybody will be working for you. And those people that told you you could never grow this here will be smiling out of the side of their face because, you know, you did yeah. so well. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, that's more of a, an addiction and a prayer than it is like a, a real thing that's going to happen to you. Just <clears throat> like even though Eddie has moved on so much, everything he still relates it back to Henry. You know, Henry still looms so large in his mind. Yeah. So um, you got two stars here. What did I what did I miss? Um, I mean, there is a little bit more conversation that happens here between Tian and Eddie where um, we learn that Tian has a lot of tension with his grandfather and we don't totally know why yet i mean we will find out later and it's pretty sad but um there is a moment where eddie kind of turns to him i don't know if you want to talk about this before i oh no uh, so i'll let you do this one and okay. then i want to make cool. sure and uh, spin back around to just basically talk about andy for a minute yeah yeah yeah. so in this conversation they talk about uh his relationship with his grandfather is very tense and tian starts to kind of like you know complain about his grandfather and uncharacteristically uh for the most part eddie kind of turns on him and he's like you know you gotta suck it up like this is not the moment for this like if you want to kill him after the fact that's none of my business but right now you got to get it together and it's interesting because it's like we're seeing this other side of eddie that has been growing and maturing uh it, i'll read you the quote it says he was 25 already a year older than cuthbert allgood on his last day in jericho hill but it was in this day's fall failing light that he could have passed for a man of 50 one of harsh certainty so that to me sounds very much like another character we know, which of course is Roland. So yep. we're seeing Eddie Dean, the gunslinger, the person who has been mentored by Roland. He has that cold hearted efficiency of a gunslinger. And um, 
you know, it's a reminder that he's about the same age as Cuthbert would have been, but he has kind of matured beyond him. Um, and you know, as a gunslinger. Yeah. And the other thing, um, so, and, and this is actually, I, I meant to write this down as like, our, cause we remember when we used to be able to do like mid world yeah, word yeah. of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, there's a word in here. Did you, uh, hopefully you captured it's it. Trump. Trump. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, when, Eddie's talking to him about his grandfather. Um, he says, my grandfather's Trum. And like, Eddie doesn't really understand. And, you know, the reader doesn't either. And he's like, well, you know, your den is Trum. And like, you know, okay, well, well what do you mean? Like, well, uh, you know, sticking your head into a tiger's mouth is pretty brave. And Eddie's like, well, that's actually kind of stupid, but okay. <laughs> and he's like, I take but what, point, yeah. what if you were good enough to talk your friend or like compadre into sticking his head into the lion's mouth. That's uh -huh. Trump. And like, Eddie's like, yeah, you know what? Roland has definitely talked me into doing some things that like I would have never normally wanted to do. So yeah, Trump is a good word. And, and this is a new, we've never heard this before. So the, hearing that word pop out and Stephen King kind of going back to new dictionary stuff was, I thought fun. Yeah. And like something that we have missed out on for, I don't know, probably a, almost a book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. And it also was a little bit of um, like a little bit of a dark harbinger, you know, like especially because we find out what happens to this sort of pseudo quartet on the road later on um, mm -hmm. in this chapter. And if we're making drawing comparisons to um, Roland's ability to galvanize and form groups of people and encourage them to put themselves in um, brave, but dangerous positions uh, that that's, you know, that's not a great foreshadowing that we're getting. Yeah. And the other thing we get um, from this discussion is that despite the misgivings that he has for his, his grandfather, um, mm -hmm. he still believes that this one story is actually a true story because, yeah. you know, um, his grandfather is many things, but, you know, Trump, the description is like, he's the one who basically has the cojones and the skills to like go gather a posse and, and stand up to something like this. And he also kind of like basically tells us you know grandfather is a he's a big fish type of character he tells a lot of a lot of uh stories that are you know mm -hmm. um questionable at best but this is one of the few stories that has remained relatively uh coherent and the same throughout his memory um which means basically that like, you know this probably did happen and yeah. we'll find out more about that in a bit. The other thing that I wanted to double back around to um, is that when we're talking about the plow in the fields, Eddie, you know, brings up the obvious solution that, you know, we've thought about before is like, why don't you have the robot do it? You know, he, he's right. a robot. So obviously he's stronger and like doesn't need sleep, all that business. And we find out that uh, basically the password protection is still there um for these sorts of tasks and andy refuses to do them without the uh password because of um what is it objective 19 or uh, mm -hmm. yeah. uh whatever the 19 label thing is and, and and so then this actually gets you to the moment where like eddie's sort of thinking about 
Andy again and that smug smile and that like, I know and you don't. And like, you know, an interesting person will be in your future or whatever the uh, fortune was he was telling. And it, it sort of like puts you at this moment where you're like, Eddie doesn't really trust Andy. And like, mm-hmm. he looks around and like the guy's like, well, at least Andy tells us when the wolves are coming. Like, Oh, great. Right. So the guy who brings the, sh- the shittiest news to you is the person that you're still okay with when you should probably not be so cool with that sort yeah. of thing, right? Like, what's the purpose of telling him that the wolves are co- telling them that the wolves are coming? I, like I, I, like I've said many times before on the show, I have read this book, but I read it a decade ago, and I genuinely don't remember. And I think that that's a you know, obviously something is being tell, 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 you know, like being t- explained or something is being highlighted here. I know, <laughs> I know it's a, a little bit of a tangent, but I'm, I'm actually glad that you and I have been so far removed from the last time we read this series because yeah. some of this stuff, like I remember big wide strokes, mm-hmm. but a lot of the subtlety has definitely snuck up on me over some of yeah. these books to the point where you're like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. What? what? Is that how it went down? Because I don't remember it like that. I remember it this other way. And like, especially since we spend the absorbent amount of time, like actually analyzing each chapter and thinking about yeah. it a little more, I have definitely got, I don't know, probably 100% more value out of these books <laughs> than I ever did the first couple of times I read them because like, right, I never I had- devoured them. I just was like- Yeah, like, yeah. You just yeah. like, you're like, no, I'm hungry. Okay, keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. Like, oh, mm-hmm. out of it. Cool. Like next book. Okay. And having you here, Rachel, um, as an aside to, to, to actually um, bounce these weird ideas, I end up getting off of these and vice versa, <laughs> like has definitely helped me to better appreciate a lot of this. Same. So, you know, that that's yeah. my side note here. But like, this is one of those things where like, I remember something with Andy, but like, but do you really, do I really remember? Yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> and like, same thing with like the room and like the town and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I think I got it. But then like, we get a twist or a turn and I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't got it. I, don't I mean, know. they keep hinting at like, somebody is a spy. Somebody is a snitch. And I'm like trying, I don't remember who it was. Like, no. I, and like there's and this is jumping a little bit ahead of the, in this chapter. But but when he's like, oh, it's so obvious. And I'm like, damn it. Is it? Is it? Though? Is it? <laughs> shit. Was I not paying enough attention? Like, crap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. But yeah, Andy remains super sus to me. The Directive 19 stuff is super sus. I'm excited. I'm excited to find out what it was again. <laughs> so moving on in the same like vein of Eddie enjoying family and like yeah. also sort of in this it, it's 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 cute it's also interesting um if you've ever done like jump ropes with a group of people where mm-hmm. there's a musical chant that goes along with it um usually either it'll be like um a hand slap type of thing or like a rhythmic rhyme that is read out mm-hmm. it's it's sort of entrancing. Two, Freddy's coming for yeah, you. <laughs> I mean, maybe not to that point, but like, so I, I think the example I usually give people when they're, when I say this and they're like, what are you talking about? But have you ever been um, at a concert and at the end of the concert, the band walks off stage and like, you know, they're going to come back. Yeah. They pretend and, like they're leaving. Uh-huh, and the crowd's uh-huh. like kind of randomly like making noise. And then after a while, as a group, everybody sort of falls into a rhythm. 
and they're all like dun 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 or you know whatever the rhythm is and like it's steady and like the whole crowd has become part of that um chant or or musical tone that like holds everybody in this weird suspension and then the band comes back out and then they like kind of break that moment and then starts playing again well doing this sort of jump rope thing because you're you're using both your listening skills and your jumping skills every time i've done it i kind of fall into like um not a trance per se but like you definitely feel like you're part energy. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like Uh it sort of takes over and locks you in somehow. Uh And I'm sure there's a neuroscientist out there that has explained this much better than I have. I'm pretty sure it's like a legit thing that happened. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. But Eddie walks around and like, they basically have, uh, uh, Tian and, and, um, and Zalia like running the rope and like one, he comments right, right away. Like, ah, that's one thing that I guess they still can do. And like that got me. <laughs> so I love Oliver Sacks, and mm-hmm. there's a great book called "The Man Who um, Mistook His Wife for a Hat," and it's an Oliver Sacks um, basically journal about a guy that had no short-term memory oh, or no geez. long. So like he had like historic memory, but it was basically a memento. And the only time that he came back around was when music was involved. He was a a singer who taught um, chorus. And so when someone would hit play on like one of the songs that he used to teach in chorus class, he would sing through the whole song five, ten minutes long perfectly and mm-hmm. then just drop back out into nothing again. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I've heard that that's like a, a like also people who have like a stutter will not stutter when they sing. Yes. A band I recorded, they were called the speech impediments. Every one of the band members had a speech impediment, but the singer, he had a horrible stutter, but when he was singing, he was perfect. And then as soon as he stopped singing, he would fall back into his, his stutter again. That's so interesting. Our brains are fascinating. Yeah. And I'm I'm sorry. I'm spending such a a side stream of adjacent, but I, I just wanted to emphasize how special this moment was. And like Stephen King tries when he describes it, he says like, it's a little bit of like free magic almost. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. happens in this. And you know, Eddie jumps in like is, is doing the skipping. Susanna is like rhyming along with the song. Eddie joins in and like changes the rhyme a little bit. Everybody is just, you know, full bore jumping through these ropes. And then, you know, eventually someone finally fails as as often as the case. And like the rope goes down, but the camaraderie is so thick that, you know, even though there, there was a likely suspect for who tripped the rope, they're like, you know, we'll all take blame for it because, you Mm -hmm. know, no one wants anybody to feel bad. And this was like a moment we shared together. And, And at the end of that moment, like, Eddie has this this moment inside of his own head where he's like, you know, I love Susanna and I think I love her more than, you know, she loves me or or I mean, I'm probably saying that incorrectly, but um, uh, he gazed up at her seriously from the dust of the dooryard. Uh, he knew that however much he she might love him, he would always love her more. And as you. always, when he thought these things, the premonition came to him that Carl was not their friend that it would end badly between the two of them. If it is so, then it is your job to make it as good as it can be for as long as it can be. Will you do your job, Eddie? 
Yeah, that's so, so dark. Good. It's so good and so sad. I know. I like. I got to chill when you were. And <laughs> I actually thought of you when we got to that part because I know that you're like not a very sentimental person, except for when it comes to like the how much love you have for your wife. Yes. And yes. I was like, oh my god, this is gonna hit DJ. <laughs> I know. When it hit that part, that's why I really wanted to make sure we covered it is because it's just like such a moment. And then he's like, he's thinking this internally, but he reacts to it um viscerally and, and says out loud like of course and like yeah she's like well, what and he's like yes and she's just like okay you know whatever you weirdo like, <laughs> like you can oh be, abby <laughs> you can be a weird if you want to that's fine hun but like it's it's so dramatic and like because we know what's going on with susanna and you know the whole like b baby stuff it's yeah it sort of puts that into a different light and perspective that makes mm -hmm. it um, a, um, almost a Romeo and Juliet love, right? It's it's very tragic. Yeah, yeah, like yeah it's, exactly. It's very tragic. I mean, I this whole thing is really interesting. Like, I think all the stuff you said about how that kind of like jumping and rhyming and falling in sync with people, all of that is so is right on. But I think there and I think in addition to that, yes, and um, there's something much like what's happening, paralleling what's happening here with Susanna in this moment is with the jump jump roping is that it's this special moment where everyone is in sync, everyone is connected, but it will inevitably end because it cannot last forever. Eventually, someone is going to stumble. Somebody's going to step on the rope. Somebody's going to run out of steam. And it's this perfect parallel for what's happening with him and Susanna because there's this like in literal ticking clock inside of her um it's also this really powerful metaphor for what's happening with the quartet and their quest that you know they can't forever be putting themselves in the line of danger like this eventually time will run out eventually they're going to fall out of a sink and we know that that's starting to happen a bit because they've stopped sharing kef um and so i think this scene is incredibly powerful and beautiful and and bittersweet but also it's a little it's it, it bittersweet i think is probably the best word for it because you can feel that this moment is not going to last on a lot of levels um and the jump rope thing is a perfect metaphor for that yeah and i apologize if uh the off topicness of my like no no, uh, no i love it I it's love just it. I think this it moment felt so thing. heavy that mm -hmm. i needed to like preface it with a yeah a, a kind of like musical and honestly guys if if you've never seen that happen um uh go to a live event and at some point the crowd will synchronize and that moment like i think internalize it and you'll feel it it's weird well i think that's part of what people get out of like going to church right oh Is yeah because everybody's like singing when they all sing together and they respond back at the same time yeah mm-hmm I think there it's is been something energetic, being energetically connected with people in that way while you're singing and stuff. I mean, there's a reason that singing is a part of like all of our ancient rituals and everything. There, it, I think you're absolutely right. So, um, I this is kind of a, adjacent, but uh, interesting. Um, David Burns, the guy from Talking Heads, um, uh -huh. I, I think he has a new uh, Broadway show that's coming out. Oh, really? <laughs> that's like with a neuroscientist. Oh, that's interesting. And like, you know, like the the common joke with David Burns is like, if someone gives him a bag of carrots and a soda, he'll collaborate with you. 
He's wow. like, he just collaborates with like, he like says yes to pretty much anything for any reason whatsoever. And, um, and so I think the show is actually like musical effect on, um, on neuro pacing. So like it's, uh, sort of audio slash brain reflex type of stuff. Mm, that's so interesting. Anything else on um, uh, this section before we move on? Nope, nope. I think they're about to go have some taters and gravy. <laughs> taters and gravy. To be honest, every time they said it, I was like, I kind of want taters and gravy. <laughs> <laughs> they sound delicious. I, I was describing uh, poutine to um, one of my friends here, and they're like, you know, I like biscuits and gravy. What kind of gravy was it? And I described the gravy and they're like, oh, fuck that. I was like, yeah, it was a little runny and like not as thick as like a good biscuits and gravy gravy. Because they're like, oh, yeah, you know, like I love something covered in like sausage gravy. So like imagine if you threw cheese in there and I'm like, well, it's not really cheese. It's curd. Oh, <laughs> and then don't listen, like, Justin. Don't listen. And they're like, wait, what is a curd? I'm like, well, have you ever had like the mozzarella ball that just sits in water like that you buy in like uh, a pack and then like you pull it out of the water to use uh, on something? They're like, yeah, I'm like basically like one level down the cheese line from there. <laughs> They're like, oh, uh, like, yeah, I'm like, I thought it was going to melt on there and be like melty. And it was really more like you just mash the two together and have some gravy on top. But <laughs> I feel like um, our American food may have failed their presentation of their poutine, though. So I'll I'll have to give it another try when I'm in Montreal. Yeah, I mean, I think they there was a, the oven was a, was a yeah, it was not a legit. Yeah, we'll get into that in the extent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, continuing on. So um, basically, this is great. Um, so the family wasn't like very religious until the pastor kind of stood up for him in that town hall meeting. And his wife was, of course, but he, he wasn't and his dad wasn't. But like Stephen King opens this scene with his his grandpa wearing like this big um, crucifix that I just imagine is like, oversized rapper crucifix for some reason <laughs> and and they're like saying the lord's prayer and he's like just you know eyes open picking his nose looking at everybody while they're praying uh-huh <laughs> and you're like okay like this guy does not strike me as like the the person that inspired confidence of people to like head out but we also um learn that he is in fact the oldest person in the kala um, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, I mean, I guess when you're, when you're that age, you can pick your nose wherever you want and wear purple and pee your pants and no one can say anything. Right. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what's the point of getting old if you can't, right? Yeah. That's the best part. And, and some of the like earlier disdain that we got from, um, from his son was like, basically, you know, like he's looking at my wife and he's, uh, you know, uh, got some feelings for her and like he also we have this bad blood that we won't talk about. And like and, and then his wife, he is sitting next to his wife and she's like cleaning the gravy off of his chin, like making sure he has stuff. And the whole time, like he doesn't say anything until there's one moment where he's like, you need me to pass you some bread. And the old man's like, no, nah, I got this. And then like reaches over and then fumbles and it's like almost a pristine representation of him being in full control of his faculties. And then we we find out that he like isn't quite. 
Mm-hmm. And this whole time, as we're being introduced to Grandpa, we're we're basically straddling this line where Stephen King is casually letting the needle swing between like basically incoherent and not capable of anything to like lucid and fixed and very um very aware of everything and it kind of puts grandpa in this weird situation as a character where you think like is this just for show mm-hmm. or is this like an actual problem and it feels to me like while he is definitely old and like suffers from the regular things of aging that some of this is really just like a ploy to kind of make him seem like a harmless old man. Is that what you got or am I overthinking this? No, I mean, I think he definitely has some dementia for sure, but I think he also, knowing what we know about him, I think he appreciates a pretty lady taking care of him a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I think two things are true here. (laughs) So he's like leaning in on that one, but also like maybe incontinent or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but yeah it's basically like just this like graceful scene of of everybody uh sitting around and and there's actually this moment where eddie's eating i guess it's like the local rice or something and everybody else is just like eating it like this is just a thing that nourishes me i'm not really interested and eddie's internal dialogue is like this is the best goddamn rice i ever tasted in my entire life and look at these people just shoveling it in like it's nothing <laughs> <laughs> and like that's a weird moment too where like i mean he's been eating a lot of gunslinger burritos okay okay fair <laughs> no, I, I guess mean, no 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 <laughs> i guess maybe okay. like i should have taken that into that context i was thinking no. more like wait is eddie like really excited about farming and like where where the food comes from and stuff i mean again? he might be I, imagine if you were him in the situation he's in looking around this has got to look pretty freaking sweet every bit of it like family farm simple life all those things uh i mean it's got there has to be some kind of appeal to it right yeah until the wolves come and take your your second born and like yeah well that's the other side (laughs) 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 so we have this like this sort of like regular meal around the table um we, we get the root folks and the kids and grandpa and so on and then uh grandpa basically agrees to to tell him about the wolves and you know we were told early on that like the best time to get a story out of grandpa is after he's um you know had his rations and in this case, like they go to sit down with grandpa to, to start this historic telling of of what happened and he stops him. And this is where, like, I was wondering, is like, is this guy just trig or is he um, actually like in the dementia category? Because he's like, mm. he's like opposite sundowning. Yeah, I know. Exactly. He's like, uh, did I uh, did I have dinner yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, mm-hmm. well. Yes, yes, you definitely had dinner. We were there, you know, you just ate. And he's like, good, good, because, uh, you know, I don't like to tell my stories until my stomach's full. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, wait, wait, what? He's like, and I didn't feel any urge to eat, so I, you know, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> it's like, Are you just being a weirdo to be a weirdo, or, like, did you actually forget that you just ate dinner? I think, I think he, I think he. Okay. That's how I took That's how I took it anyway. I was like, oh, boy. And I think Eddie's just like, oh, shit. Uh, I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't I, I as my plan to be an old person and like break into song in random places for no reason and and dance around and do weird stuff is like 
always been a uh, uh, exciting time. I'm hoping to enjoy. <laughs> I uh, often accidentally put that on to old people that just have, you know, cognizant decline. Yeah, just... <laughs> you're just planning on um maybe like exploiting that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it was a bad person. Uh, no, shut up. I'm gonna shut I'm gonna sing to people for no reason and like. I mean, I kind of feel like you already do sing to people. <laughs> oh, that's that's fair. I uh, already. Uh, Why wait? You're yeah. already doing it. <laughs> I just gotta like really double down on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story, like, uh, basically, we start out and you know we, we find out that Grandpa is is still a dirty old man. Um, he's like, you know, I've tell this story a lot of times and some of the times, you know, I tell it as me, the hero who killed the wolf, but that's only when, you know, knees aren't coming apart fast enough. And you're like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) grandpa, you know, like no wonder he's worried about you, uh, hanging around too close to his wife, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then he's like, but truth be told, you know. That's not actually what happened, you know. Um, this other lady was actually the the person that killed the wolf, and I think her name was Molly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, w- what we end up getting a picture painted of us is it's Tim, it's Molly, and her husband, who is his best friend at the time, and they'd basically like gotten finally fed up with the wolves and decided to to do something about it. And this is a little bit. Um, out of order, but I will say that one of the things that grandpa and, um, you know, uh, grandson do agree on is like, yes, it's a good thing to take after these wolves. And he's proud of his grandson for, you know, standing up and doing this thing that he is proposing to do. So they do sort of share, um, kind of a common, like bold gene in that Mm -hmm. respect, which is, you know, I think Stephen King trying to paint it as a family, even if they have a, a broken branch between them. Mm-hmm. So what we find out is like, first of all, there there's a family called Took, which um, owns like the general store. And, you know, he turns out Took has a, a place in his uh, general store where like no one else, not even the staff knew it was there. And he likes to hide um, things and, and trinkets that he's gotten from like exchanges and whatnot at his store. And he hides kids there. And despite the fact that no one else knew about it, the, the wolves found this, went in there and got the kids and then burned the store to the ground. Yeah. And yeah. Which begs the question, how do they know they were there? Yeah, exactly. And like this, this puts um puts some general shade again on mm-hmm. you know on either Andy or you know other civilians around the area or what have right. you who knows um yeah uh, but it's definitely um a point of contention and mm-hmm. this gets deeper as we move forward but so so we find out about that um and then Eddie because he hasn't caught back up with Roland yet didn't know about arises plate and apparently you know molly was a, a very good plate thrower and he basically explained like you know it's a plate with a part that's not sharp but the rest of it's sharp and eddie's like okay i need to file this away this is important information we don't have enough weapons i need to tell roland about this 
as soon as we get back together because this could be something. And when we were in Roland's shoes a while back, he basically had the same reaction as Eddie. Mm-hmm. And now the other thing we find out about that family that store burned down is like you can't get took to work for or to ever come along with this again because they never want to see their store burn down again. Right. Now, the connection in question, um, and maybe I'm remembering the name wrong, so I wanted to ask you about this, Rachel, is wasn't that name close or associated with the cook that gets hung in the very beginning. That was, I want to say hacks. Oh, was it hacks? Okay. Yeah. For some reason I, mean, I was thinking like took, took and I was, me, I mean that may, maybe you're thinking Lord of the Rings. Cause oh, remember like yeah, one of the yeah. main characters is took yeah, I, on the plane. I just rewatched it. So I was of course thinking of the fool of a took. Okay. Yeah. For some reason took stuck in my head and I was like, is this a reference to something earlier that I had forgotten? And like, I, I thought the cook's name was hacks, but then like took stuck to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. I think because of Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Sorry. Um, no, that's fine. Okay, never mind. Uh, disregard the whole took uh, side <laughs> side hustle there. <laughs> um, no, so it, basically, um, so they go to confront him. Uh, four wolves are coming at him, uh, and they're like, okay, we could do this. She, Molly grabs her plate, throws it, and there's like some more dramatic stuff to this. Like, uh, you know, they're shooting like whatever their wizard they're They're like, I imagine it's almost like the Harry Potter ball with wings, like <laughs> flying uh-huh. around the yeah, snitches, well, basically the snitch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, uh-huh. um, like, uh, a phantasmagoria style silver ball that just like zooms about blowing people's heads off, um, mm-hmm. at random. And like, they're firing that these guys are riding gray horses and wearing capes and so on. And, um, because they're wearing armor, I guess maybe they feel a little braver about their situation than they ought to. Mm-hmm. And when she throws the plate, instead of veering off like you would think they would do, the guy sort of like leans into it. Mm-hmm. And then it hits him and takes him out and knocks him to the ground. And that first moment sort of leads the group to be like, oh, maybe there's even odds now. Maybe we can. We could do something. Yeah. And then like, no, (laughs) no, I like Molly, like goes to get her second plate is about to throw her arm gets cut off and falls to the ground. And she calmly reaches down to grab the plate from her hand again. Yeah. Well, a sneech flies through and blows her husband apart and like his, his organs and juice just fly all over and she calmly reaches up to throw again before they get her as well. Mm-hmm. And like we find out that grandpa like just happened to be lucky, falls to the ground and like pretends for his life to look like he's dead. And like it passes and the guys ride off. Yeah. And like yeah. he's like, oh, shit, I'm alive. And, like, they left their dude behind. And so he goes over and, like, I guess there's some smoke rising from the guy, whatever. Um, I I kind of attribute that to maybe, like, some electronic systems that have, like, smoked or burnt or whatever. And Mm. pulls the mask off and then cut to black. And, like, you don't get anything. Uh, I know. And you're like, wait, what? 
what usually stephen king like tells us more than we like he'll be like we'll know things that the characters don't know so it's very rare to have him be like the character knows but you don't i know and and this one like and like eddie's like wait wait what and like the grandpa's like grabs him like suddenly like you can you know eddie's like i could feel the vigor come back into this man like the strength in his hand um I won't lie to you and tell you he looked like he was 50 years younger, but he definitely came alive in this moment. Uh-huh. And he whispers 19 words into Eddie's ear. 19 <laughs> again. And it's like, okay, that's a that's a lot. It's uh-huh. a very long sentence. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're not going to tell us any of it, Stephen King? No, he's nope. not. No, he's not. <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> and, and like Eddie's like, oh. It all makes sense now. The gray horses, the cape, you're in the army now. <laughs> and like, uh-huh. and and then, you know, um, so we don't get the actual information, but adjacently we get a window into his, the grandfather's uh, son, um, the, the grandson's father, um, hearing the story and saying like, you, you know, you only told me this and you never told anybody else. So obviously you fear that it won't help anyone. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if you tell this story uh, to the wrong person that could get back to the wolves and um, you could be an old man who is now dead for telling, you know, a story about your bravery that you didn't even actually uh, do. Yeah. And, and you're like, well, wait a minute. OK, so. If he tells anybody around him, it could get back to them. Uh huh. And then you're like, well, you know, Stephen King hasn't told me what's under the mask, but he damn sure hinted very strongly that it's like possibly someone of, you know, local heritage, question mark, uh-huh. exclamation point. Uh huh. And then the uh, the final coup de grace of this little interaction is that he, he says, he says, you know, the um, the man will always find his his servants. And like he's referring to, you know, the man in black or, you know, what whatever uh, iteration of of the, the, the walking dude mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're going with at this time. And it's like, Oh shit. So like you immediately go to like the crimson King recruiting from like any number of groups and like mm-hmm. their group, just as anyone else's. And like, there's an army and like, you're just a soldier in the army. And like, that's what these guys on gray horses and capes are. Mm-hmm. And it unveils a lot without telling you much of anything. So, yeah. Rachel, I, I've kind of tried not to spoiler zone any of this, um, but I'm I'm 100% sure you have some things to add that I may have either um, bruised we over. We touched on most of what I wanted to say. I will say I do think it's interesting that the, the, the sort of opposing force that is out on the road finally fighting back against the wolves kind of parallels our group, that it's these three men and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there is there is kind of a warning in that, but also kind of a hopeful message and that if they are able to harness the power of that Oriza and the, you know, women in this area who, who are skilled in it, that they may have a chance against the wolves, the men, maybe not so much, but our gunslingers with the help of the women, maybe. 
maybe. Um, so that stood out to me. Um, let's see here. We also, I mean, obviously, I just think it's interesting that we saw, I got our first look at the wolves. And like, what do you think about these weapons? They've got lightning sticks and snitch snitches and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I'm, trying, I'm having trouble, like, kind of. Okay, I'm imagining like the phantasm ball. Yeah, that one's as, the, the snitch is like a fairly easy one to just kind of reference adjacent to when this book came out and like what Stephen King may have been influenced mm, by because mm-hmm. we've had like that era and genre had like a lot of like floating sentinel type of droid machine things mm-hmm. of varying sizes that were basically the same concept float and destroy through hallways and, and what have you. Um, right. The fire stick is one that I'm, I'm a little less certain I can truly visualize correctly. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a moment where Stephen King is describing the fire that's created by the stick, and that it doesn't work the same way as regular fire. That you can't just put it out. Uh huh. And so, at first, I was kind of thinking like a flamethrower. Of mm-hmm. some kind that maybe shot like some napalm or right or something like that, but like then you hear him describe it as like something that he could swing at somebody. Yeah, and is so it like a lightsaber. What yeah, exactly. Mean? But like that's not a fire you can't put out either. So right, it's like I'm like I was like, is it a laser beam? Is it electricity? Okay, cool. But uh, how can you not put it out? And usually, like that's the part where. I think my confusion still stems is mm-hmm. um, is it, is it chemical or is it electrical? Um, it sort of in some descriptions feels like it's an electrical device. It sort of um, zaps or melts in yeah. some way or another. And then in other descriptions. Or is it, it a magical device? Yeah, exactly. But like I so that's the thing. Um and maybe I my interpretation is wrong, which is is not unlikely. It's happened before. <laughs> but <laughs> but what I will say is, OK, so you have like the mystical, uh, you know, green glass uh, gem city, whatever. Fine. But then you also have the wolves and like you have Andy, the robot and you have, you know, South Central Positronics. So yeah. with mm-hmm. those hints here, like we have moved from like mystical and the glowing, you know, orbs, uh, you know, 13, all those things. And we're back into a technological group with like robots and, you know, flying droids. And, mm. and so usually Stephen King isn't huge on mixing those two parts together. Mm. At, at least I shouldn't say that because, you know, we have like the Tommy knockers and, and yeah. which I will forever reference. Thank you. <laughs> um, but but seriously, uh, you know, in in the Dark Tower series, Stephen King sort of takes great pains to be like, here's technology. Here's mystical stuff. And like they don't necessarily cross, but they exist adjacent from each other. Yeah. Is that the feeling that you always get or am I am I? I mean, I would say normally, yes, except for that, that except for the Dark Tower is sort of the one place where it like like everything comes together sci fi and fantasy. And also there are monsters and demons and like it's this is the exception to that rule for me. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, 
it maybe it's just my weirdness, but I'm like, you know what? These guys have got to be technology based, because mm. um, you know, like his mask like dissolves and and floats up into steam or whatever. Um, and I sort of like as a as a technology guy, I'm like, oh, he probably short circuited it and it like uh-huh. burned up somehow, and like oh, that's what happened. And like he's got a flying robot, of course. But and you know, mm. as we have already alluded to, <laughs> we're suspicious of of Andy, and yeah. like Andy's a robot, and like yeah. these guys come from you know this area like out in the beyond, and robots th- riding horses seems weird though. To yeah, me. yeah, but you're I guess, right. but, but like, I don't know, maybe not. But so I, I guess for me, it's sort of like a Lud situation where they're still using the technology that's working. But like mm-hmm. as things die, maybe they don't have like flying cars anymore, you know, or right. trains or motorcycles. So like they just have a stock of horses as their, you know, uh, method of transportation. But their guns and like whizzy wizard things like are all <laughs> still like functional because they yeah. have a better shelf life or, you yeah. know, South Central Positronic batteries. I don't know. I mean, things here are different than in other parts of the world. Like, it's weirdly like time has frozen here, right? You remember, yeah. like, everywhere else the world has moved on. There's like none of the stock is well threaded. And then we get here and it's like this beautiful, rustic, you know, um, uh, what's not, what's not agrarian? It's not the word I'm trying to think of. But like it, it's just this beautiful sort it's of pastoral. Gable. Yes, 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 exactly. Um, which is unlike anywhere else we've been. So it wouldn't surprise me to learn that even the sort of technology that has been winding down and in some cases going insane might still be fully functional here. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's definitely worth thinking about. Well, if you guys out there have uh, input on what you think the uh, the boomstick is. <laughs> <laughs> let my us boomstick let us know because uh i i'm definitely curious if my interpretation is this how everybody else visualizes it um mm-hmm. it, it's definitely weird um and then you know i always i'm kind of um I don't, did you ever watch the incredibles oh yeah of course yeah, yeah so i'm i'm kind of anti-cape after <laughs> after that and like yes these no guys, capes these guys wearing capes it's like no nah, man no nah, this is Bad idea. What happens if you trip and the horse steps on your cape and pulls you to the ground and then you get trampled? Like just... Matilda's is convinced that she looks like Edna Mode. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, you just have a bob. Shut up. I know she's got the right. She's got the right haircut for it. She just needs yeah, to like yeah. be more brooding and like speak with a French accent. Hundred <laughs> percent. All right. Well, I think we have one little section left. Um, Do we? we I, th- I thought I actually rolled through seven, six, seven, and eight. Did you talk about what happened to, and I missed out, uh, what happened to, why why there's the bad blood between Grandpa and Oh, Ian? I did not. Okay, good good call. Um, so the other reveal that we get is that we find out what happened between uh, Grandpa and Grandson, and basically when the twin was taken um i i believe it was uh uh tau tau yeah and and so when he was taken um the kid that was left behind um his son and obviously the father of the grandson was like kind of 
the golden child, I guess, or like basically it was like sort of um what what do they call that in China when they only have the like a little emperor? Mm. I, I think is the term that they use. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, uh, it it it's a single child uh, household where like because they only have the one child, they like dote on him, and he be- becomes the little emperor where he like dictates what they do and like how they do it and what they eat and what they're into. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's probably a little overblown for this, but. But basically, like the kids allowed to do things that like normally you'd be like, no. Nah. And and he's a he's a water witch, uh, referencing Coraline, of course. Um, but it, he basically like grabs a dowsing rod and like finds where to dig this well. And you know, normally you wouldn't let a kid that young do that sort of work to begin with. But they're like, ah, okay, you know, whatever, fine. And so, I mean, not that young. He's like thirty and has a kid, I suppose. So. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm making it a little weird, but like normally that wouldn't have been his job. So they let him do it. He digs this hole and like sure enough he finds water, but because he's kind of new to this task, he screws up and the hole collapses and kills kills him. And like grandpa had been like, No, this is not you can't let him do this. This is bad, you can't let him do this. And like then they did it anyway, and then he died, and like that's where the bad blood comes from, is cause like mm-hmm. father was like yeah, this is fine. Like, no, it's not fine. And then yeah, anyway, um, and so the son is like, you know, you killed my dad. Yeah. <laughs> but like, he didn't kill his dad. He told him not to do it. And he did it anyway, because the rest of the family let it happen. And so they have like sort of a conflicting view yeah. of this like end of life situation where his dad got buried in sand and mud and, and didn't make it and is yeah. now at the end of the clearing, um, which you know, uh, this sounds like every age old tale of like family members not talking to each other anymore. Yeah. But I do think it ends on kind of this good note where, I mean, we saw like a little bit of glimmer of hope where the dad, you know, where Tian kind of talks about his grandfather, not in glowing terms, but there's like a little bit of softness around like, you know, that he had stood up to the, to the wolves. And then here, even though his grandfather was the first one to be like, you're a fool for doing this, he tells Eddie kind of privately, like, I'm actually really proud of him. Like, I'm proud that he's standing up to them. I'm proud that, like, this is in our blood and he he is, you know, exhibiting the same kind of bravery. And so as sad as that story was and as sad as the dynamic is between them, there's like a little bit of hope of reconciliation here. And I just think it's kind of, on a small level, a reminder of what they're here to do. And that is not just to stop the wolves, but to heal these families and future families from this, you know, tyranny and this nightmarish scenario that they're currently living under. Yeah. And I I think I alluded to this earlier, but like the last thing he tells Eddie is like, you tell my grandson, I'm proud of him for standing up. Yep. Yep. It's like, you know, uh, like it's sort of if you've ever met someone who uh, who hates but respects someone else, they'll they'll talk trash for hours. And they're like, uh-huh. one thing I will say is that that guy's got a pair of balls on him or you know something yeah. weird like that. And you're like the grudging respect that's and you're like, underneath. wait, where did that come from? Like you just basically talk trash for an hour. And now you're like, but I guess he's at least got this going for him. Huh. <laughs> like, OK, and, and so that's like. And you get that from both sides. And, and and so that that is, I mean, it's begrudging, but it's still it's, it's still, still a seed, right? 
All right. So that is it for this chapter. What did you think of uh, Grandpa's Tale? You know, for being gone for quite some time, um, <laughs> this was like, this was a lovely uh, jump back into Stephen King yeah. and the Dark Towers in general. I I had a delightful time going through this one. Um, yeah. Wasn't it like overly long? Wasn't mm-hmm. it a beachy over the head one? And like has enough action and an intrigue that it just like checked all the boxes for me. So I actually, I, I, I enjoyed it. Rachel, you? Yeah, I had a really good time with this one. It had some really, I think, poignant character moments, Mm -hmm. which I always love. Like you said, we got some more world building in the language. And then, of course, we got a nice bloody gruesome action scene. Like the whole thing about her getting her arm cut off and then prying the um, the plate out of her own dead hand. And then she like bursts in flames and people are exploding. Like all that kind of stuff I, of course, love. So this, yeah, when you started off the show and saying that this, this chapter kind of had it all, you totally nailed it. This you know, so great. super strange, like completely random bit. But after I finished this chapter, um, like two days ago, I I had this ho- horribly strong urge to go watch Kung Fu the Legend. <laughs> Very true. <church>. Really? <laughs> that is random. That's yeah, it's crazy. super wild that I'm like, no, no, I want like a um, some fight scenes and some action. And I want like it to be set in the old west. And like, I'm like, oh, you know. David Carradine, like, this is the only way. <laughs> like, watch. And it, like, stood up. Like, uh, you know, like, I went to the first episode and, like, some lady falls in love, but it's a forbidden love because he's, a, you know, a, a hunted man and, like, he fights with the bounty hunters and, like, the kid's, like, tell me more, mister, and follows him around and then, like, he has to leave them all and, like, continue down the trail. It's, it's just a... It, it's such a weird thing, but, like, this chapter made me really just... Well, jones for that sort of entertainment in my life so um yeah you know if uh if that puts a little uh bug in your head you're welcome okay well thank you very much all right cool so plans for next episode um i well actually am i getting ahead of myself no i'm not no no you're not so we're going to be covering uh wolves of the call part two telling tales chapter seven nocturne comma hunger which sounds very spooky and i'm into it so everybody, check that out. We will be back in two weeks, although it might just be me. I don't know. You might be in Japan. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, but in two weeks, read it. Come back. We will be covering that. Uh, okay. I didn't have any Stephen King connect- universe connections, but there is a little bit of Stephen King um adaptation news okay so i know i told you in the past that mike flanagan his ultimate dream is to um, adapt the dark tower he's done some other adaptations of stephen king um like most notably he did the dr sleep film which was very good uh he made some changes to the end i didn't love but overall very very good and as well as gerald's game which is fantastic um so he he has a relationship with king he has a relationship with netflix um he kind of seems like maybe he's the perfect person to do it and he is a total super fan so he i, I don't know about you but i feel I, I feel very positive about this idea what do you think about mike flanagan doing the dark tower adaptation i mean i hope it doesn't crash and burn uh we've gotten some really good stuff lately with like uh-huh, uh-huh. um 
well, uh, not his stuff per se. Uh, not that I'm not, I'm not, this isn't me bashing it, but like we've gotten really good interpretations of, you know, um, of, uh, shoot, what is it? It's, um, the dream, you know, the, the dream King. Oh, Sandman. Sandman. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I don't know why Sandman was escaping me, but like, that is so good. And then it like, you know, so good. we've got indoor, which like everybody is ranting and raving about. Like, it is amazing. And like, so <laughs> a lot of properties have been really getting some shine put on them that have yeah. otherwise been like, I wouldn't say completely neglected, but definitely like not top tier stuff normally. Mm-hmm. And so if any time is a time for the dark towers to shine and become yeah. something amazing, uh, we all can dream and hope and wish. <laughs> Will it right? happen? Uh, you know, we've seen so many people trip over their own feet to make something that fit into like whatever bite size movie level it, it was supposed to be. And so yeah. I, I hope that doesn't happen. Like the dark tower literally needs a game of Thrones moment. Yes. yes. Where yes. you're like, Nope, here's the arc. We're going X number of seasons, start mm-hmm. to finish, you know, uh, the wheel of cod, done. And like, and if you don't do that, then what are you doing? And yeah, uh, uh, spoiler zone, not really spoiler zone, but semi spoiler zone. So uh, here's your warning. Uh, I'm, I'm splashing uh, blood on you right now. Um, <laughs> go away. Uh, come back and like, 10 seconds. Um, so Stephen King is still alive. And yeah. now Spoiler, would be he's still alive. <laughs> the best time to do the Dark Towers so you could yeah. shoot the end seasons of the Dark Tower with Stephen King before he passes away and do it correctly. Yeah. I mean, I kind of almost hope the best thing about the film was the idea that it was the last time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love I would love for him to take that idea and adapt it so that he could he could maybe do all of the stuff that comes before that. We're not gonna, I'm not going to say it again in case people only skip forward one skip, but skip that stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And go right into the end. Um, and because it would be a new kind of um, experience, right? <laughs> I'm trying to be very vague in my language, but okay. So he was let me give you his what he said about it this is a little bit long so bear with me but i think it's interesting um he was let's see here he basically said um in 2020 that the dark tower is forever going to be the story that i wish i could tell and last month he said that he and his producing partner trevor macy are going to keep pushing to try and make the dark tower happen until someone stops them so this is something, this is not a new thing. This is this is like a passion project for him. Even his wife has tweeted about it. Um, all right. So then he was speaking with IGN about, I don't know, some other project he's, that he's working on. And they asked him about the Dark Tower movie. And he said, uh, like specifically what it would look like. And he said, nothing would be a bigger honor to, to make uh, or make me happier in my career than to be able to work on that. What it would look like, it would look like the books. No disrespect to the film or other people's approaches with the adaptation. But when I saw the movie, it's like they're starting in this whole other place. The first image in his adaptation, uh, it would be a black screen and the words, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. It would come up in silence. You'd hear the wind and we'd gradually fade up on 
uh, onto this Lawrence of Arabia-esque landscape with a silhouette in the distance, just making its way across the hard pan. It would build out from there in order until the end. It would be just a question of taking the more fantastic elements that might be harder to connect to, especially where it gets pretty meta at the midpoint and grounding it, just pulling it in. Uh, but otherwise, the characters are who they are. The arc is what it is. Uh, the way to not do the Dark Tower is to try to turn it into something else, to try to make it Star Wars or to make it Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. It is what it is, and what it is is perfect. Uh, it's just exciting as all those things and just as impressive. It's a story about a tiny group of people. All of the odds in the whole world are against them, and they come together. As long as it's that, it'll be fine. And they're... And there would, there won't be a dry eye in the house. Is it a series? Is it a franchise of feature films? I don't know. It's one of those things. It's none of them. It would be my Everest to do that. But nothing would make me happier. And God, I hope there's a chance. I really do. Thoughts? <laughs> I mean, that sounds epic. Um, I like, I like his passion. Uh, does that mean that it won't die in like 20 committees and like a yeah. funding round and like some executive being like, but it needs Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and then like, just turn it I into love Keanu, a but he cannot be rolling. No, no. no. And, and like He's too I, warm. I can no, 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 no. <laughs> and I'm not, this was not a, an effort to bag on Keanu Reeves. It's just like no, it's a just lot of the, right the, the problems with like where we see series fall down is that, as opposed to like the one person who cares the most about it being in charge of making the thing that everybody wants. Uh, that guy starts out as a passion and then like 20 other groups of people come in and are like, well, in, in the screenings with 20 to 26 year olds, they felt like there wasn't enough of this. Um, right. okay. And then like someone else comes in like, we don't have enough brand placement here. Um, you know, Tesla is a really important car right now. Let's throw a bunch of those in there. Like, oh, okay. Uh, and then like before long, you're like, well, uh, shit guys, like we're not making the thing that I wanted to make anymore. We're making this other thing that is unfortunately not the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the danger, but that's kind of why I think Mike Flanagan might be perfect for it because he has this proven track record and relationship with Netflix, you know, like everything he's put out on that platform. Um, I mean, hush, I don't know if it did big numbers, but I remember it was pretty critically acclaimed. And then he did Gerald's game and people were like, Whoa, this is really good. And then he did like the haunting of Hill house. And then he did the midnight mass. And like all of these things have, he has not really had a miss yet. And he, the new one, um, Midnight Club, that, I think that did really, really well. So my hope is between the, he's like weirdly positioned between someone who has done Stephen King adaptations and has a relationship with a streaming service, like maybe there's a chance that they throw some real money at him. Look at what's, look at Sandman, you know, like that is not a cheap, inexpensive show to make and it's been renewed. It's that one's back. special though. So Amazon owns Audible. Yeah. And, yeah, but it's on Netflix. Well, yes, actually, fair enough. But I'm maybe I'm okay. I might be wrong then. My posited theory was that like the resurgence and love of Sandman as it turned into an audible book because everybody freaking loved the audiobook, right? 
Yeah, like, it's great. It's it's amazing. And like they loved it so much that they've released like a bunch of short stories and like other parts of it that were like extra. And it just keeps doing really well. And, and so that showed how much power that particular asset had, which mm-hmm. I think. And maybe I'm wrong. Someone can correct me. But I thought that initially it was pitched to Amazon and they were going to take it. And then Netflix like swooped in and grabbed it as a more expensive uh, production. Um, that could be all horse horse caca. Um, and I might I be. Don't know. I don't know. Um, that, that's how I thought it went down. So like I thought it started as the groundswell from Audible and then like Amazon was interested and then Netflix ultimately won out. That um, could be that could very well be. I have no idea. But like with well Stephen be. King, like we need like, I don't know, <laughs> we need a Dark Towers comic book or something <laughs> or yeah. like live production that is like audi- audible or something that like just really starts a fire under this to get it to that momentum. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you know, what are they going to spend their money on? Like, well, we need to do another superhero movie. Like, let's plan out like six more comic movies. Cool. Doctor Strange hasn't had enough time on the air. Like, let's get 20 more of those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm s- sorry, I'm d- depressing everybody. No, 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 no. I mean, I wanted your opinion and I totally <laughs> I think it's I think it's totally valid to be cynical about this because there have been so many times as Dark Tower fans, we've gotten our hopes up only to have them be disappointed. Um when I was in, I'm, I don't know if I remember, I, I can't remember if I said this on the show or not, but when I was in Seattle, mm-hmm. like a few months ago, I went to the Pop Culture Museum, which was awesome. Yeah, I love that um, area of Seattle. And I came around a corner and it was like in the fantasy section and it was the costumes from the Dark Tower movie. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they looked awesome in person, I have to say. They were very, very cool costumes. But it was just a reminder of like, we still haven't gotten our proper adaptation. So I don't know. Well, I, I'm going to keep hope alive. You be the realist. I'll be the optimist. And we'll we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, that's all I have for Stephen King news. Uh, we don't have any listener feedback, and I did not post a question this time. So we'll just move right into the wrap-up. Um, people, we've been gone for a while. We'd love to hear from you what you've been up to, what you've been thinking, what's going on, um, what you think of this review. What um, do you think about the news that maybe, maybe, just maybe Mike Flanagan might someday get to do this? I'd love to hear from you. Email us at castacaw at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z dot com. Or you can come chat with us over on the Facebook group. Or um, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ZG Podcasts. Um, we're, yeah, lots of good stuff on there. And if you're looking for something spooky tonight, because like me, you're a big horror movie nut, you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com. We keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on all the various streaming services and video on demand services. Um, I know spooky season is over, but if you love horror, it's always spooky season in your hearts. I mean, Thanksgiving's just like a weird in-between holiday. Just keep being spooky until you hit December. There you go. Um, and then if you want to support us, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're getting your podcast. That means a lot to us, makes us feel real good and helps people learn about us. Um, or you can support us uh, by buying some of our cool merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. Or you can support us by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls where you get extended episodes, bonus episodes, and of course, you get to join our Discord, which is awesome. 
because he edited every day because we're always in there we have no lives we just hang out on discord we'd like you to come have no lives with us yeah all you have to do is uh type my screen name and like a little dot pops up and i'm like a, a gnat to a fire i'm just like Bloop, oh, I'm there. Like, what's, what am hey, i here hey, for hey. i don't know hey, I, don't hey. I feel like we've built a like very fun community on there but you know we don't have enough dark tower fans that's why i'm <laughs> like come on come in here let's let's talk dark tower um okay so dj they've missed you i've missed you they need more of you in their lives. Where can they find you on the internet? Oh shoot, I'm I'm pretty uh pretty tame these days, guys. Um, I was actually just paying for all of my host registration stuff and realizing that I own like 20 sites that I don't actually use for anything. <laughs> oh they're, they're just like a bunch of funny names that I thought would like someday take off and then i would be able to sell them somehow and that was obviously <laughs> silly of me um but you can find me on uh whatever uh you know podcasts are going around these days i think i'm occasionally on the steve cast um which uh, is doing okay um i'm on some random other casts that are associated with the uh what do we call ourselves outpost unknown outpost on youtube unknown. <laughs> um mm -hmm. yeah and then uh actually much uh, like the, it's properly named because nobody knows about us yes exactly <laughs> um but one of the things that actually is going down and this is uh starting i think in a couple weeks um matt and i will begin to tackle our next feature-length film that has been in the can for a while it is Finally! called uh, uh robo mummy part nine uh so we'll be working on that and then if I understand the schedule correctly, I will be in for some filming projects in Nebraska to do what we hope is a pre-shoot to the puppet movie that uh, Steve has been dreaming about for quite some time. So we're going to test a lot of uh, practical effects and special effects and green screen to see if we can actually pull off a puppet film of some kind. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. but otherwise, um, you know, uh, muffin spank on Etsy. Occasionally I have some stuff on there. If you're in the Portland Metro area, just pay attention to Craigslist. Cause I'm that suitcase guy that's making suitcase drums and you can always <laughs> come see me play live at doomsday. Uh, that's the end of the world. End of the night. <laughs> Rachel, what about you? <laughs> oh, you can find me lots of places on the internet. First of all, you can find me on Outpost Doom, where I'm on a handful of shows, including the Steve cast, as well as our as of yet unnamed um, Star Wars show, where we talk about Andor. I am a big, big fan of that show. So Matthew and I talk about that every week. So go to YouTube, find us, Outpost Unknown. You can find me across the Zombie Girls podcast network, including Zombie Girls, Stream Queens, untitled nick cage show and more deadly of course we have a really really exciting interview coming out um this week when this drops it'll be this week uh with director rachel talalay of freddy's dead um as well as tank girl and like every single genre show you love um which was fascinating conversations so you're not going to want to miss that I also have um, recently guested on Trick or Treat Radio, where we reviewed the film Barbarian. Trick or Treat Radio, those guys are the best. So funny. So much fun. We laughed for like literally four hours straight. Check that out. Um, and Ariel this week was on Bloody Good Horror, talking about Terrifier 2. So if you're a horror Terrifier fan. Terrifier 2. Yes, yes. I, I originally was going to be on there, but then there was a mix up on the days. And so I was able or I mean, so I was unable to attend. I just want to know if it's more terrifying than Terrifier 1. 
Uh, well, I guess you're going to have to listen to Bloody Good Horror to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely, they're an amazing show. We love them. They're so sweet. They always invite us on and make us feel like we're hanging out with the cool kids, even though we're really not very cool. Um, so check out Bloody Good Horror, Trick or Treat Radio, Outpost Unknown, and of course, Zombie Girls Podcast Network. All right, DJ, unless people are sticking around for the extended episode, that is it for us for this episode. You want to take us out? Oh, yeah. You know, um, normally I have a long rambling rant to go in this, this <laughs> section here. Uh, but what I will say is, listen, um, despite the Dark Towers and my uh, consternation about them never doing anything, look at what has happened to other franchises. Go yeah. dig up uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and see how many failed attempts at making that has happened and we still have yet to be successful in fact our uh, namesake douglas adams has now passed away so stephen king we can look forward to one day when you pass away someone will finally pick up the the lance <sighs> and stab Don't through the curtain that. of uh broken dreams and shattered dark towers uh so that that's the hope uh good night <laughs> oh <laughs> it's a new night, <laughs> you know because you're doing a star wars Oh, I like it. I like it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode. So we don't really have anything on theme for tonight. We just thought, you know, since we were out for a while, we'd give you guys a little background on what we were up to, some of our adventures, hanging out for the first time, just kind of like some fun stuff of what we've been up to. So I'll start with you, DJ, because you were the first one out. You went to Ireland, which is one of my favorite places in the world. Um, I haven't spent a bunch of time in like Ireland proper, but I spent I've spent a lot of time in Northern Ireland. Where oh, where were you? So we did end up uh, trekking up to Northern Ireland, um, but otherwise not a ton of time in Northern Ireland. Um, I've been to Belfast a few times, but uh-huh. uh, never been to um, what is it? The, I believe it's the Giant's Causeway. Oh, that's right. I saw pictures of you at the Giants Causeway. Yeah, and so like we did that thing where like you go to you go to Belfast and then like you, you get a bus and like take it over to um the town where uh um what whiskey is it? It's uh uh shoot, I've I've forgotten, but it's Bush the Mills. Yes, yeah, Bushmills. Uh, yeah. Yep. So the town outside of the Giants Causeway is Bushmills, and like that's the namesake that is Bushmills whiskey. If you haven't had Bushmills, like it's a very popular punk band uh a whiskey that uh is partaken by many um mm-hmm. and, and then mm-hmm. but basically we uh had Danny... an irish boyfriend that enjoyed it oh yes yes, yes. <laughs> probably to excess you sometimes <laughs> um no no so we uh we we kind of jetted around um ironically um there was a podcast uh playing that i i knew a gentleman that worked for the group and so right. we were going to go uh, check that out. It was um, if you've ever heard of uh, Welcome to Night Vale, I, I uh-huh. knew one of the dudes that um, like worked doing editing. And so I was like, oh, yeah, well, he, he was supposed to go on their tour. And like they were in Seattle and they were in Portland, but I was out of town for those dates. So I was like, oh, OK, I'll meet up with you at the end of the tour in Ireland. So we that's how we booked the, the trip. We were just like, oh, we'll go there, like have a lunch with this guy and then like you know, do some other stuff and then go home. And like, we get there and we get to Ireland and I text him to see where he's, he's at. And like, he doesn't work for him anymore. He's oh, doing geez. something else. 
Oh my god. And, and like, you literally it, like, flew to the other of... side of the planet. 